Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. Engineering our future, or failing that, going out with a bang. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show, it's GJ with the first of a series of what I think is going to be two episodes on the Empire City of Nuln and all the explosive goodies that the city has spawned over the editions. Before we dive in, let's talk some hobby. Not everybody needs a hobby. A hobby is supposed to pass the time. Not I did absolutely nothing and it was everything that I thought it could be. For me, these past few weeks have been very busy with very many things and not a lot of them have been hobby related. I am currently working on an ogre command group and a uh, an ogre butcher i'm painting those as a badge i've been doing some groundwork for some some future units i've airbrushing i think about 30 skinks half of them i guess with the the fifth edition ones with bows short bows and the other half with the poison blowpipes um and that's i think basically it there's not much more hobby stuff for me other maybe than preparing for this podcast, which uh, also is sort of hobby related, of course. And uh, I had a lovely time over the weekend diving into these lore and, um, and rule sections about the different uh, Empire weapons um, that I'm going to be talking about today. Now, before we get into the main topic i'd like to point you to our patreon uh, i know that we have a an outro where we, which mentions several links but uh, the patreon page is not one of them and the reason for that being that we did not at first thought we were going to continue with that and then suddenly we decided that we did want to do that so we do have a patreon if you uh, are up for that thing you can support us for any amount of money per month for as low as one dollar or euro or the the local equivalent whatever that is and this month we have an episode by Nathan where he's doing an army book review of the 4th edition Empire army book. So if you are into Empire please check that out and if you're not into Empire then I do apologize for the things that I'm going to talk about in this episode because it will be mostly Empire related. Apart from the Patreon, I also want to draw your attention to the painting challenge we are hosting on the Warhammer Orchard Facebook group. We have a theme as is usual. You have you don't have to do a lot for this painting challenge. You only have to paint up a single miniature. And the theme for this miniature is too hot to handle. Now you can interpret that any way you want. Although we do ask you to keep it uh, viewer friendly for the, uh, the younger Facebook users. Uh, assuming that we have any. That's it I guess for the hobby and news section so let's get on to the main topic today is all about the imperial engineers and their fancy weapons uh, this is a topic that should be near to my heart as i'm an engineer myself i studied chemical engineering and chemistry although i'm now employed in a completely different line of work i'm now an editor and public speaker this has very little to do with uh, my field of study however still i am an engineer and as such i can somewhat relate to these funky contraptions and the persons that made them I think one of the key aspects of an engineer is wanting to know how stuff works and you can do that for example by taking things apart and then hopefully putting them back together again and uh, I think that's mostly what led to these weapons that we are going to discuss today. Before we dive into the weapons, let's first take a look at the city of Nuln itself and its rich history. Nuln is situated at a location where the river Aver flows into the Upper Reich River. 
and these two rivers then continue together as the River Reich. Nan is to the north of the Grey Mountains and in the south central part of the Empire. It's the second biggest city in the province of Reichland according to the 4th edition army book and in later editions um, Nan became its own city-state and that, that changed a bit through the years. The 7th edition army book on the map seems to show Nan as part of Wissenland, as, as even as the capital of Wissenland. And in the 8th edition book the city sits on the cross point where the provinces Reichland, Everland, Stirland and Wissenland meet. Now in these later editions Nan is represented as the second largest city of the empire itself, uh, right after Altdorf that is. Nan has a very rich history. It's been around since the time of Sigmar. Uh, first, even before the time of Sigmar, it was a high elf outpost. Later, it was a Talian settlement. And Sigmar, during his reign, after unifying the empire, he had two major roads constructed. The first one was connecting Altdorf to Middenheim. And later the second one connecting Altdorf to Nuln. And this has had a large impact on each of these three cities development. Which is also why they are still the three major cities in the empire. Nuln became the center of worship for the cult of Sigmar. And in around the year 100 on the imperial calendar it became the capital of the empire. And it was rebuilt in the image of Altdorf. This lasted for about a thousand years until the, the year 1100. Uh, in that, at that time the city had become corrupted and at some point it was revealed that the high priest of Sigmar was actually a Slanesh worshipper. The then Emperor Boris Goldgatherer moved the capital back from Nuln to Altdorf. Uh, that's also around the time when the Black Plague broke out in IC 1111 and the Skaven responsible for the Black Plague were eventually routed and defeated by Mandred Skavenslayer. Now in the years after his death, the capital of the empire moved back again from Altdorf to Nuln. And then it went uh, sort of back and forth, uh, seemingly with each new emperor. After this period you get into the time of the three emperors and in the years uh, 1702 to 1712 there is a large invasion led by Gorbat Ironclaw. He sacks Nuln and he completely destroys the province of Solent, uh, which was then mostly absorbed by Wissenland. Now, the rest of the empire was not too happy with this because uh, Wissenland now suddenly got a lot more territory. And in return, the rest of the empire demanded that Nuln separate itself from Wissenland. And that's just to make sure this, this single province did not become too powerful. The city of Nuln did indeed separate itself, it became an independent city-state. And after that the city became more secular, the cult of Sigma was not as prominent as it was in the earlier years. And Nuln turned from what was once a trade city into more a city of military development. One of the most famous persons to ever emerge from Nuln was Magnus the Pious who, uh, when the empire was still divided, managed to rally all the different provinces and fight off the Great Chaos Invasion in the early 2300s. Nuln was uh, once again the capital of the empire and this lasted until the year 2421, when another green skin sort of started meddling with things. In this case it was uh, Grom de Ponge, he led a war into the empire, he partially raised Nuln and the city after that slowly became part of Wissenland again and, and during this invasion by Grom de Ponge the capital was once again moved to Altdorf which has remained to this current day. Now there's a nice little interesting thing that happened in these uh, in the past decades assuming we're still at the the years just before when the end times hit so let's say around uh, 25 25 25 30s thereabouts in the year 2499 Skaven tried to sack the city of Nuln but they were thwarted by none other than Gotrek and Felix now i have not read the Gotrek and Felix books yet. I do plan on doing that in the future, although I do not know how near in the future that will be. 
but I do know that one of these books, um, I don't remember which one it is, contains the story of the, uh, I believe it is Thankwall, trying to blow up Non or something like that. And um, yeah, Gotrek and Felix uh, thwarting him. And from what I heard about it, also Thankwall himself uh, being his own worst enemy in and sort of undermining his own plan. I do not know once again which book that is. If you've read it, I probably misrepresented a lot of things. And if you haven't read it, then I can definitely recommend it because I know a lot of people recommend it and these Godric and Felix books are considered to be very good. So it's actually a shame that uh, shame on me that I have not started them yet. Back to Nan. Nan has presented itself as a center of learning since the olden days. The city is home to the famous University of Nan. It has an engineering college that matches the engineering college of Altdorf, and there is a healthy rivalry with Altdorf. Uh, Nan, for example, boasts that it has the largest bridge spanning the entire Reich. And the reason for that is that at Aldorf the river has become so wide that it can no longer be spanned by a single bridge. And at Aldorf the Reich splits into several rivulets, there are several islands there, and these islands are all interconnected with bridges, uh, as well as the mainland is, of course. But yeah, at, at Nan is the only place uh, where the entire Reich is spanned, or at least the widest place where the Reich is spanned, I should say. Uh, most famously, of course, in Nan is the Imperial Gunnery School. Uh, this is where the cannons are cast and the artillerymen learn the arts of ballistics and the logistics of moving and servicing artillery trains. Now, it was, of course, the dwarves that invented gunpowder and they taught the humans how to use it. So what I want to do in this episode and also in the next one is to take a look at the gunpowder weapons available to the humans. Um, I can also do the dwarves but that will probably be a, a wholly different episode. We're going to look at the handguns first, the portable weapons and then in the next episode we'll take a look at the larger artillery pieces. We will start our journey today in 3rd edition. I do have the 2nd edition books, uh, not the 1st edition books though, uh, but I don't really feel comfortable enough to discuss these editions as I've never really learned them. I also must say, in all honesty, haven't learned a 3rd edition yet, I've never played it. Uh, not to agree that I have 4th and later editions, but from this podcast as well as other podcasts and, and also from flipping through the 3rd edition books a couple of times, I feel confident enough to start over there, although that is of course no guarantee that I won't overlook things or misrepresent them, and I do apologize in advance should that be the case. In the 3rd edition rulebook there are 3 gunpowder weapons mentioned as well as 2 grenades. These are the arquebus, the blunderbuss, pistols, regular grenades and torinoco grenades which are used by the ninja assassins of Nippon. The arquebus is your regular handgun. It has a range of 24 inches and a strength of 4. If you fire it at a distance less than 12 inches away, it gets a save modifier of minus 1. And if you shoot it from within 6 inches, that save modifier is increased to minus 2. So uh, this is basically armor piercing and an, an extra armor piercing at very close range. Units that have arquebuses may not move and fire and they may not fire two turns in a row. It takes a full turn to reload. It can only stand and shoot if it did not move or fire in its last turn. And for the arquebus, because it is a gunpowder weapon and thus a bit unreliable, if you roll any ones on your uh, roll to hit, they are counted as a misfire and they cause a strength 4 hit on the unit. And these are at a normal saving throw. In 4th and 5th edition, the rules for handguns are word for word the same. Uh, not as they were in 3rd edition, but I'm going to group these editions together because uh, in those two editions, the rules are worded exactly the same. Handguns have remained at strength 4 and a range of 24 inches. 
and you can still fire only every other turn. They were still prohibited to move and fire. And interestingly enough, you now have the option to adopt a formation of two ranks. What then happens is that the first rank shoots and then right after it has shot, either the first rank steps back and gets behind the second rank or the second rank steps forward so it gets behind the first, uh, beyond, uh, in front of the first rank. And that means that this second rank that did not shoot can fire in the next turn. In this way you can also slowly move your unit up the board or even uh, out of charge range if you're lucky. Um, and handguns are now uh, armor piercing at, at any range or even though the rule is not called that yet. It simply states that handguns give a minus two save to armor rather than the minus one for strength four attacks. When we get to 6th edition, the rules for handguns were a little bit more simplified and a little bit more condensed. Handguns are still 24 inch range and have a strength of 4, but they now have the special rules move or fire and armor piercing. This means that it is now possible to fire your handguns every other turn, uh, sorry, every turn, not only every other turn, and you no longer have the movement with the 2nd rank, those uh, shenanigans. On the other hand, that's a bit of a shame because that's actually the way it was used in, uh, for example, Napoleonic times and, and uh, the time of the uh, American War of Independence. Uh, the first rank or the first two ranks would fire and then the uh, next rank would move up, uh, move past the first and then they would fire while the former first rank reloaded their guns. However, on the other hand, this also saves you from a lot of bookkeeping, especially if you have a command group in the unit. And uh, in 4th edition, 5th edition, you could often have for your command groups a champion that was armed differently. Usually you take a champion that is armed exactly the same as the unit, but for example the Empire handgunners, they can have a champion that can have either a handgun or a pistol, I believe. So. If you have a champion with a pistol, uh, he of course does not shoot every other turn. Um, he can shoot and then, well, what happens to him? Because the champion usually stays in the first rank, but if the second rank moves up, does the champion remain there? Well, then there's the other rule that the champion always has to go to the front. And even if the champion is out of range, can he then shoot or can maybe the other guy behind him shoot? Um, yes, it's uh, the rules are a little bit unclear on that. And I also asked this in the 4th edition uh, forums or in the Hero Hammer uh, Facebook group, something like that. And uh, I, I didn't really get a clear answer on that either. Uh, there are a lot of these little rules in 4th uh, and 5th edition that make sense, except that when you put them into context in the larger game, then you will find that you will get two rules that contradict each other and uh, you just have to find out how to handle them. Now in 6th edition we have to make a special note about the Empire handguns. These are just like your regular handguns but they have, uh, they are a little bit more effective the first time they are fired. The first volley you will fire with your, uh, with your Empire handguns will have a maximum range of 24 plus d6 inches and half range is still at uh, 12 inches. That is a nice bonus if you do not want to position your handguns at the very edge of the deployment zone so that they can maybe hopefully fire in the uh, in the first turn uh, assuming that the Empire player has the first turn. But since you get a random number there, a random increase in inches, you can't really rely on it to hit anything uh, if you have that first turn. But well, still it's better than nothing I guess yeah I don't I don't like these things where you can't rely on them I do love random things too but the, the random things that I love are like the uh, uh, the giant or the fanatics where they're going to hit either your opponent unit or, or your own units maybe or the giant has uh, different attacks that are chosen randomly and it, it will do something anyway and if you are 26 inches away and you roll a 1, then um, this rule really doesn't doesn't do anything for you. But um, yeah, it's a nice touch and 
I do hope maybe maybe players who have played Empire a little bit more than I have can can tell me if this is something that has come up a lot in sixth edition or something that's uh, uh, actually useful or maybe something that's uh, just there for show and uh, I must say the few times that I played with Empire in the sixth edition rule set I uh, probably almost f always forgot this rule or uh, within the first turn I was within range so it wasn't really useful then um well the rules for handguns if you go to 7th and 8th edition they remained unchanged from their 6th edition iteration and all in all these rules have remained very constant throughout the editions the next gunpowder weapon, the pistol, varies a little bit more, although these these rules are still uh, very similar. Um, in most editions, pistols are strength 4 and have a 6-inch range. This is so in 3rd edition, where they also give you a minus 1 armor save when shooting and a minus 2 armor save in close combat. Models with pistols in 3rd edition may move and fire, but they may not fire two turns in a row. It still takes one turn to reload them. If they did not move, uh, it says, but maybe it should read if they did not fire in the last turn, they may stand and shoot with, uh, with their pistols. And the pistol can also be used in hand-to-hand -hand combat, where it counts as an additional hand weapon with an additional minus one to hit modifier and still, I believe, at strength four then. A pistol can only be used once per engagement and then you have to reload it before you can use it again. Once again in 4th and 5th edition uh, the rules don't change between those two editions. You, your pistol still takes a turn to reload. Um, you still have the 6 inch range and the strength of 4. Uh, but it says here specifically, if you carry two pistols, you can fire every turn. You simply fire one and then fire the other while you reload the first. You can still use a pistol in combat as an additional hand weapon. It hits at strength 4 regardless of the wielder's strength value. And after a pistol has been shot, it works like a club, like an additional hand weapon. After combat, if the pistol was fired in the previous turn, you can't shoot it in this turn. Still need a turn to reload. And like handguns, pistols in 4th and 5th edition are armor piercing, even though the name of the rule is not yet invented. In 6th edition, we see a range increase for the pistols. It goes from 6 inches to 8 inches. They are strength 4 armor piercing, uh, like the handguns in this edition. They have lost the rule that it takes a turn to reload. In combat pistols are strength 4 armor piercing in the first round of combat. So you can fire them in the first round of combat and then after that it works just like a regular hand weapon. In 7th edition the 8 inch range was kept from 6th edition as well as the strength 4 and armor piercing rules but a rule was added that a pistol can always be used to stand and shoot regardless of the charger's distance. Also, it is now possible to have a brace of pistols, which have the two times multiple shots rule. In combat, however, a pistol counts as a regular hand weapon. Uh, the wielder is assumed to use the butt end of the pistol as a club, so you don't fire it into combat anymore. 8th edition saw another range increase for the humble pistol to 12 inches. They are still strength 4 armor piercing but they now have the rule quick to fire which now not only incorporates the always stand and shoot rule from 7th edition but it also removes the minus 1 to hit penalty for moving and shooting. A brace of pistols has the same rules as a regular pistol but as in 7th edition it also includes the multiple shots to rule. And as in 7th, a pistol counts as a regular additional hand weapon and a brace of pistols simply counts as two hand weapons in combat. We then have three more gunpowder weapons that sort of disappear after 3rd edition. The first of these is the blunderbuss. The blunderbuss has a strength 3 at range up to 8 inches with a minus 2 save modifier and is only strength 1 at a range of 8 to 16 inches with no save modifiers whatsoever. Like other gunpowder weapons in 3rd edition, these may not move and fire nor may they fire 2 turns in a row. 
Like handguns in 3rd edition, each 1 to hit is a misfire and it results in a strength 4 hit against the unit at normal saves. Blunderbusses are I think mostly known as the 4th edition Chaos Dwarf gun of choice. How they work in a Chaos Dwarf army I'll leave for an episode about everyone's favorite big heads, but the blunderbuss is also appears in the Empire and as you may remember from before all of these uh, generic rules about pistols and handguns, we were doing an Empire episode. There's only one option to include a blunderbuss in the 4th edition Empire Army book and that's as part of the War Wagon. The blunderbuss is a template weapon, you put down the teardrop shaped template which uh, you should recall is a bit larger than it is in later editions, I believe it is around 10 inches uh, from tip to tip, while in 6th and later editions it's, uh, it's 8 inches from uh, one end to the other. Any model that is half or more under the template um, is takes a strength 3 hit on a roll of a 4+. In 6th edition, the blunderbuss makes a return in the annual 2002 as part of the steam tank rules. There is a steam tank version, the Von Zeppel, that has a platform on it, an engineer's platform, which is basically the war wagon crew. So it also has a blunderbuss. It works in exactly the same way except that now uses the 6th edition template and in 6th edition all models wholly covered by the template were hit automatically and all models partially covered were hit on a 4+. So even though the template area is smaller you will probably get more hits in and other than that the weapon functions exactly in exactly the same way. In 7th and 8th edition there's also a blunderbuss included in the experimental weaponry and imperial armory sections of the respective army books, but this is a grenade firing blunderbuss. So before we take a look at those, let's go back to 3rd edition one last time to see what grenades did back then. The grenades mentioned here are the ones you see in, for example, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The small spheres that are lit with a fuse and then you hope they explode uh, at the right time. Grenades have a range of 6 inches, a strength of 3 and a minus 2 save modifier. Troops armed with grenades may not move and shoot, though they may move in the reserve phase. In 3rd edition you had um, the following order of the phases, you have movement, shooting, combat, reserves, magic, rallying and then there's the end of turn. The reserve phase was like a movement phase except that you were allowed to move any troops again that are further away than 4 inches from an enemy. The arquebus or the, the handgun uh, as it is known in later editions and the blunderbuss they specifically state that models may not move in the reserve phase, uh, not in the movement phase and not in the reserve phase. But if you want to launch a grenade you can after uh, lobbing it as move in the reserve phase although since the range of grenades is six inches and you can only move in the reserve phase if no enemy is closer than four inches I don't know how often did this rule would have come up. Grenades to uh, if you want to launch them you pick a target that is within six inches uh, or at least you think is within six inches because there's no pre-measuring and you have a mere 45 degree arc to the front you place the 1 inch round template there. Now it specifically states that you don't need to pick the front model in a unit, you can pick a, any model that you that you like that's within 6 inches, or basically you pick any target, any place on the battlefield that is within those 6 inches. What you do then is you take out your trusty D20, because in 3rd uh, edition you had more variant in the dice than just the regular d6. On a roll of a 13 to 19 the grenade hits the target. So that's basically as if you roll a scatter die and it doesn't move. But if you roll a 1 to 12 the grenade deviates d3 inches and the direction in which it deviates is indicated by the number rolled. And you have to imagine this as if it were the face of a clock. So if you roll a 12 it overshoots the target, on a roll of a 6 it falls short and on any number that is between 6 and 12 it deviates to the left and on any number that is between 12 and 6 um, it deviates to the right. If you are 
unlucky enough to roll a 20, your fuse is too short, or maybe you lit it too soon, the grenade flies d6 minus 1 inches in the direction that you threw it, and once the position of the template is known, uh, any model which, whose base is wholly or partially under the template takes a strength 3 hit. It is easier to use a scatter die, of course, but I love the whole clock face mechanic. It's, uh, um, I think it's very inventive. Uh, I wish we saw more of those things in Warhammer and later editions. Um, it can be a little bit of a bore, I guess, if you have an entire unit that is armed with grenades, because then it will take a lot of bookkeeping. Uh, you have to fire each grenade individually, see where it lands, resolve the hits, or maybe take note of which models are hit, and then do the same for the other ones. So I think this, I don't know if, if you had units that could take grenades, but uh, maybe this was just a character option, uh, back in the day, I, I think it would make more sense then, because if, if you have a unit of grenade lobbers, then it can really slow down the game, um, even if probably just for one turn, because, well, let's face it, six inches is not uh, the best of range that you can get on a weapon. Now, the other type of grenade is the Torinoco grenade, carried by the Ninja Assassins of Nippon. Uh, this is actually three types of grenades rolled into one. You have an, an egg shell that is filled with either explosives or flash powder, or you have a firecracker. This weapon follows the same rules for grenades I just described. It had also a range of 6 inches. It gives you no save modifiers and the strength is denoted as special, because you have three types of grenades in this category. Explosive grenades have a charge of strength 2. Flash grenades blind all models that are underneath the template. That means that they may not do anything but move if there is at least one unblinded model in the unit for each model that is blinded. So um, if you have a unit of 5 and you manage to blind 3 of them, they cannot move. If you manage to blind 2 of them, then it is assumed that each of the blinded models is being led along by one of the unblinded models. If the leader is blinded, then he is out of action until he recovers, and that means that you cannot use any bonuses he provides to leadership, intelligence, cool, and willpower. Blinded models are automatically hit in close combat, and the models are blinded until the end of their following turn. The third and final version of the Nipponese grenades are the firecrackers. They bounce through the unit and any unit that they are lobbed at decreases their initiative and weapon skill by one in the following close combat round. And I believe this is the exception where you don't choose the template. But uh, now that I read my notes here, I'm not sure if that's the case. It might also be that you just put down the template and that model loses its weapon skill and initiative. Uh, either way, in 4th and 6th edition, uh, the Empire 4th and 6th edition army books, you did not see these grenades on, on the battlefield, but in 7th and 8th edition, we get grenades back, uh, in a way that is. The reason for that is you can equip your master engineers with a grenade launching blunderbuss. This weapon has a range of 16 inches, it has a strength of 6, it is armor piercing and move or fire. In 8th edition the range was increased to 18 inches, but it also gained the rule slow to fire which means that you cannot use it to stand and shoot. Another type of grenade was also introduced in 7th edition and these were the pigeon bombs. A very inventive, uh, what you do is you train a homing pigeon, you give him a harness with a bomb strapped to them, and when the fuse burns down to a certain point, the grenade drops and then the fuse burns down further and then the grenade explodes. Now as you can probably guess, these are highly unreliable. Pigeon bombs have no maximum range. They hit at strength 4 and they use the 3 inch round template. These grenades are also move or fire, you basically have to spend your turn, I guess, telling the pigeon where to go. 
uh, you can select any enemy that's visible to your engineer and you then roll a d6. On the roll of a 1, the pigeon returns to its handler and the templist is placed centered on the engineer. Should have fed him more grains, I guess. On a 2 to 4, the bomb explodes in mid-air and the Empire player at this point may ask for a moment of silence for his lost pigeon as feathers slowly fall down to the battlefield. On a 5 or 6, the bomb lands on target and it does what it is supposed to do. Now in 8th edition these rules are mostly the same although they are worded a little bit differently at some times. The only real difference is that the range has been reduced to 24 inches but you don't need line of sight anymore. That's it for all the weapons that started their lives in 3rd edition but that's not it for the crazy contraptions of the engineering school. In the 4th edition Empire Army book saw the birth of the repeater handgun and the repeater pistol. The repeater handgun in 4th edition had a range of 20 inches and a strength of 4. And this worked a little bit differently than you might expect if you've only played later editions with the multiple shots rule. If you hit with your first shot, you can shoot again. And if you hit with that shot, you can shoot again and so on up to 6 shots maximum. Regardless whether you wound or not, uh, you can keep shooting until you miss. Each shot can be aimed at the same target or at a target within 2 inches of the last one. So you can work your way down the line here if you want to. A roll of a 1 is always a miss and that means that the gun jams so you cannot fire anymore. And just like with regular handguns it gets the armor piercing description and the repeater handgun is also included in the war wagon crew and it has the same rules as it has in the regular Empire Army book. Um, in 6th edition, repeater handguns have their range increased to 24 inches. They are still strength 4 armor piercing, but they now have the multiple shots times 3 special rule. In 7th and 8th edition, these rules were unchanged, save for the addition of the move or fire rule. That might have been an oversight in 6th edition that the repeater handgun was not move or fire. I have looked if I could find an errata on that but uh, it doesn't appear to have been addressed. So I guess maybe it's supposed to be that you can move and fire with a repeating handgun. Um, maybe that was too, that proved too strong or something and in 7th and 8th edition they, they changed it again. In 4th edition you also have repeater pistols. They were strength 4 and they had a range of 10 inches. These worked in the same way as a repeater handgun so a hit means that you get another shot up to 6 shots and a 1 always misses. The repeater pistol is always also armor piercing and in combat it works just like a regular pistol. So strength 4 armor piercing. Now in 4th edition the only unit that I could find that you could give the repeater pistol and the repeater the handgun to were the outriders. You could have a mix of uh, models with pistols and outrider uh, pistols and handguns in the same outrider unit but these were the only models that could have them and then in later editions it's the uh, uh, the engineers uh, and of course in the case of the repeater handgun the war wagon crew and the uh, von zappel's team tank in sixth edition going back to the repeater pistol in sixth edition the range is reduced to eight inches and it functions like its handgun counterpart which means that it gains the multiple shots three rule. In combat the pistol works just like an ordinary pistol except that it gives you three extra attacks in the first round of combat that are strength for armor piercing instead of just the one you would get for a regular pistol. In 7th edition the re repeater pistol is still 8 inches strength 4 with 3 times multiple shots but it can now be combined with a regular pistol for times 4 multiple shots. The shots are all armor piercing and you may always stand and shoot with them just as you would with a regular pistol. And also like a regular pistol it counts as an ordinary hand weapon in close combat. The rules for the repeater pistol change yet again a little bit in 8th edition. 
the range is bumped to a massive 12 inches, the furthest we have seen ever for the repeater pistol. It's still thanks for armor piercing with three multiple shots, uh, four if you combine it with a regular pistol like in 7th, and as expected it has also gained the quick to fire rule, so you can always stand and shoot and you get no modifier for shooting on the move. In combat it still counts as a regular additional hand weapon. There is one more gun we have to discuss today. This one was first included as part of the war wagon and it is of course the Hawkland Long Rifle. In 4th edition it has a range of 40 inches, strength 4 and is armor piercing, but because of the high vantage point atop the, the towering war wagon, any model can be picked out, even if it is behind other units, uh, all of that assuming terrain doesn't get in the way, and you can even single out characters in units. In 6th edition the range is lowered tad to 36 inches, the Hockland long rifle is move or fire and armor piercing, and you can still pick out any model within line of sight. But if you do so, you will suffer a minus one to hit. Although it says you do not get the minus one to hit you would normally get for shooting at a single model. Oh, and also, despite what we've seen in movies and shows with snipers and bodyguards, look out sir does not work. The shooter can also select a different target than the unit he is with, is another thing that is noted there in 6th edition. These rules remain unchanged in 7th edition and or are almost unchanged in 8th edition, except that the Hockland long rifle is now slow to fire. In 8th edition, the rules for sniping were included in the rulebook as uh, under the heading Sniper. These are the same rules, however, as they had in 6th and 7th edition, except that the minus one to hit is now in addition to all other modifiers. So if you snipe a lone character, it's now at minus two, plus any other modifiers for range and some such. The only reason I can think of for doing this would be to pick a different target than the unit you are with, because the sniper rule specifically states that if you use this sniper rule then you can pick out a different target but if you don't use the sniper rule i guess you're still at uh, strength 4 armor piercing but with a 36 inch range instead of the regular 24 that the unit of handgunners you are with has assuming you are in a unit of handgunners now i must say i don't have much experience with these items in game but for most of these, I ask myself if it's worth the cost. Uh, like I said, in 4th edition, it was only the War Wagon that had some of these special guns and the Outriders. In 6th, 7th and 8th edition, only Master Engineers could use these weapons. And I think most of these are only really effective if you have maybe a small unit of them. Uh, the Hockland Long Rifle, for example, is good that you have a long range, but there is still a chance that you will miss your target, um, even if you have an engineer with a little bit higher ballistic skill than your regular trooper. You still do not hit with your special weapons every turn, which is what you would like to see, or at least what I would like to see. Now speaking of Master Engineers, in 6th, 7th and 8th edition, Master Engineers are a hero level option that you could take. The Master Engineer in 6th edition costs 55 points. It has Movement 4, Web Skill 3, Ballistic Skill 4, Strength and Toughness 3, 2 Wounds, Initiative 3, 1 Attack and a Leadership of 7. The Master Engineer carries a Hand Weapon. And he may choose a repeater pistol for 10 points, a repeater handgun for 15 points, or a Hockland long rifle for 20 points. These were the only three special engineering weapons that were available in 6th edition. He may also wear light armor for 2 points, he may ride a war horse for 10 points which can have barding for an additional 4 points, and can, he can have up to 50 points of magic items. The Master Engineer has the special rules Master of Ballistics and Extra Crewman. A Master of Ballistics means that if you have a great cannon or a mortar, but not a volley gun, it states specifically, that has been joined by a Master Engineer, it may re-roll either one scatter dice or one artillery dice per turn, but this cannot be the roll that determines the distance the cannonball bounces. Note that if the Engineer uses his re-roll ability, 
he will not be able to shoot with his own missile weapon in the same shooting phase because he is too busy um, meddling with the the weapon itself with the with artillery piece the extra crewman rule means that your engineer can replace one of the crew members of a cannon or a mortar and then if the uh, war machine misfires the engineer will explode along with the rest of them in seventh edition master engineers did not change too much compared to what they were in 6th edition they are still a hero level character they now cost 65 points uh, their profile has remained unchanged uh, they can still have light armor for 2 points a warhorse for 10 points and it can have barding you now also have the option to include a mechanical steed a mechanical steed is introduced in 7th edition and it was also around in 8th edition and the uh, mechanical steed is basically a, a metal horse a movement 8 web skill 1 strength 4 toughness 4 one wound initiative 1 and one attack it has no ballistic skill and no leadership a model mounted on a mechanical steed still counts as riding a counts as riding a barred warhorse so it gets plus 2 armor save and it has minus 1 inch to movement and in addition if the model charges the brass globes that the um, uh, that charge the horse that they are attached to the horse's head uh, the brass globes they release a burst of lightning that does these three strength four impact hits your master engineer can have a repeater pistol for 10 points a hockland long rifle for 20 points a grenade launching blunderbuss for 12 10 points a repeating handgun for 15 points and or pigeon bombs for an extra 25 points it loses the option to take magic items. It still has the special rules Master of Ballistics and Extra Crewman. And in 7th edition, these rules remain unchanged from what they were in 6th edition. Although that's one thing I forgot to mention earlier is that the Extra Crewman special rule allows your Master Engineer to join a Hellblaster Volley Gun and in 7th edition also the Hellstorm Rocket Battery. However, um, you cannot use the Master of Ballistic special rule that says you can reroll one of the dice. However, you can still use the master engineer's ballistic skill unless of course he's firing with his own weapon in 8th edition not much changes for the master engineer stat wise he is still 65 points and he is still the same stat line with a movement of 4, web skill 3, ballistic skill 4, strength and toughness 3, 2 wounds, initiative 3, 1 attack and leadership 7 he is equipped with a uh, hand weapon he has the special rules Master of Ballistics and Stand Back Sir. These rules have changed a little bit. Uh, Stand Back Sir is a new one and Master of Ballistics is now that if he is not fleeing the Master Engineer can nominate a single war machine within 3 inches of him and that war machine can use his ballistic skill and reroll one artillery dice during the shooting phase. This cannot be the dice that determine the distance bounced by a cannonball and you must nominate which war machine, if any, you will be using the rule for each shooting phase before any war machines have fired. A master engineer cannot use this special rule and shoot with his own missile weapon in the same shooting phase. The new rule uh, stand back sir replaces the extra crewman rule the war the master engineer is now no longer part of the war machine crew but he is within th if he is within three inches of a war machine he is allowed to take a lookout sir role just as if he were within three inches of a unit of five or more models of the same troop type if the role is successful the hit is resolved against the nearest friendly war machine your Master engineers have the following options. They can be armed with a grenade launching blunderbuss of 10 points, a Hockland long rifle for 20 points, pigeon bombs also for 20 points, and a repeater handgun for 10 points and a repeater pistol for 10 points. And you have to choose one of these. The master engineer may take light armor for a single point 
and he can be on a warhorse for 12 points which can be upgraded to have barding for 2 points putting it at 14 points total just as it was in the other editions or you can put him on a mechanical steed for 25 points and the mechanical steed has changed a little bit from what it was in 7th edition it is now just plain movement 7, so no longer movement 8 and it counts as if it has barding. It has a web skill of 1, ballistic skill 0, strength 4, toughness 4, 1 wound, 1 initiative, 1 attack and 2 leadership. It counts as a war beast, it has the special rule that it causes d3 impact hits and it has a special rule called unreliable. For each mechanical steed at the start of each of your movement phases you have to roll a d6, on a 2 to 6 nothing happens, but on a roll of a 1 the mechanical steed's mechanism has started to run down. The steed must deduct d3 from its movement characteristic for the rest of the game and that goes down to a minimum of 1. Furthermore, Master Engineers in 8th edition are once again allowed to take magic items with a value of up to 50 points. That ladies and gentlemen is it for the Master Engineers. There is no Master Engineers special character, at least not that I am aware of. Um, the closest I think you get is Leonardo da Miragliano in the 5th edition Dogs of War army book. But that book is a chapter unto itself and I don't think you can group Leonardo in with the regular run-of-the-mill engineers from the school of engineering that he himself founded 500 years or so ago. So we will leave Leonardo de Miragliano for another episode. Um, for now, we are going to end our look at the Imperial Engineering College here. In the next episode of this series, we will take a look at the Imperial Gunnery School. So that will mean that we will look at the cannons and mortars, the Hellblaster volley guns and the Hellstorm rocket batteries. I think the steam tank will not be included in that one as it is technically a steam engine and not a, a gunpowder engine. But um, well, maybe the steam tank will get an episode onto itself. Or maybe I am just uh, messing up my knowledge of past episodes and uh, Nathan already did one of those. Uh, we are nearing our 100th episode. So I hope that we do not put out too much double content there. Once again... Um, if you liked this episode, please consider also giving our Patreon a look, especially if you like Empire, there will be a little bit more Empire content over there. For now, I will leave it at that. Thank you very much for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. Know ye now, the time of mortals has come to an end.